following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, we're going to be looking in uh, Exodus chapter 21, beginning at verse 33, and going all the way down through chapter 23, verse 9. It's a huge chunk of scripture. Um, I'm not going to read it again. I'll read it sections of it as we go through. But um, uh, we're, we're, we're looking through the covenant code, uh, essentially the laws or expectations that God gave to the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. Um, last week we, we looked that, uh, just as a little bit of review, we talked about how uh, modern, modern people have a, a largely a worldview based on the idea of evolution um, that says, you know, we are basically just a cosmic accident, not, not uh, created beings by an eternal God. Uh, and one of the things that this does is this leaves us with no real basis or sense of why I'm valuable or why we have worth. And yet people have inherently this sense that they do have worth. But uh, an evolutionistic or naturalistic worldview can't explain where that worth comes from. And so we kind of make things up of how we can be valuable to ourselves, even though we actually have no real value. Um, But, of course, Scripture uh, gives a much different picture because it says we were created by God and we have value because God values us as the highest pinnacle of his creation. Well, uh, this morning we're going to look at another huge gap between the modern world, modern world view based on naturalism or evolution and, and the way people really feel, the way people really just instinctively know that it's different. And that is in the area of justice, the idea of justice. Uh, and, and here's the problem. If you believe that we are just the product of evolution... We're just all a cosmic space accident and that basically everything is just, it doesn't matter what it is, if it's a germ or if it's you, they're all somehow kind of equal uh, and it's, it's just, we're just products of this cosmic accident, then uh, there, there really can't really be such a thing as justice. In fact, the, the cardinal principle or rule of evolution is, is the survival of the fittest, right? So what this means is there's no justice Justice means I just get to eat you. That's what justice is in the system, right? Um, If a lion is chasing a zebra, a little baby cute little zebra through trying to eat it, right? Uh, The the mama zebra doesn't jump in the middle and say, hey, what are you doing? This isn't fair. You can't eat my baby. Don't you have any sense of justice? Of course, it's ridiculous. Here's justice. I'm hungry. That looks like a really good snack. So cheers, here's the, here's the lunch, right? Um, there, is no, there is no basis for justice, right? Where does justice come from? And yet human beings, people all over the world, everywhere, in every culture, every time, have this sense that there, there is there's a need for justice, that, that there, there ought to be things that are right and wrong, that you just can't eat your neighbor, right? No matter how cute their kid is, right? There's something wrong with eating them. Right? That's not just, right? And so 
so where does this come from, right? Where is it? And the world can't explain this. Evolution can't explain, and it's very interesting how modern man has tried to uh, justify this sense of justice, right? How they've tried to explain it. Where does it come from? Um, but of course, because they really don't know where justice comes from, and there's, in, in that worldview, there's absolutely no reason for it to exist, they often misunderstand and apply it, even though, uh, like I said, every human being holds to some sense of justice, especially when they feel that they have been treated unjustly. Right? It's okay when you want to eat with somebody else, but when somebody's trying to eat you uh, or harm you, right? there's a sense that, no, this is not right. Um, so uh, we're not going to go into the whole thing. It's a very complicated field of study, the whole thing of the theory of justice. But just, just a quick survey. Where, where does, what, what does justice mean to the average person in the world? And maybe you could answer, think of that yourself. Write down, what is justice? Right? What is justice? Well, uh, in general, the world, the world would define uh, justice as a theory by which fairness is administered. In other words, justice is getting what's fair. Okay, let's vote on that. How many think that, that sounds like a good, good thing? Justice is what's fair. Anybody? You guys don't want what's fair? Who doesn't want what's fair? Right? Of course, we have this sense that life should be fair. If you're a parent, you've heard this before, right? If you're a parent of more than one child, especially, you've heard this. Well, that's not fair. If you teach second grade, you hear this probably ten times a day, right? That's not fair. Um, certainly the world says, has a sense of that, and, and there's some ways in which that is true. But we have to understand what we really mean by the word fair. If we say justice is getting what's fair, what do we really mean by the word fair? Well, back a long time ago, fair used to mean this. It meant everyone stood before the law, which was an objective moral code uh, that society would come up with, a code of right and wrong, that everybody would stand before that code on equal ground. Right? So in other words, there's right and wrong, and everybody must be treated equally and fairly before the law. No one could be showed favoritism because of their race or their religion or their economic status. And likewise, nobody could be discriminated at by the, before the law based on things like their religion or race or economic status or any, anything else, right? That's what fairness used to mean. But now fairness means something very different. Um, and in, in more modern thinking, um, the modern world, and I'm thinking more of the West than the East. If you're Asian, this, this would not be so true. But in the West, um, uh, What's happened is modern society has largely rejected the idea of an objective moral code. So in other words, people do not want to be told, well, that's right and that's wrong. Uh, people don't like that. That's no longer permissible. You can't tell me what's right or wrong. Um, and so without that objective sense of right and wrong, uh, fairness has now been reduced to uh, getting my personal rights. That's what it's all about. And if you watch the news, if you go on Facebook, it's all over Facebook, right? It's all about my rights, right? I have a right to this. I have a right to that. Uh, the most obvious example of this um, is I have, the, I have the right to my own choice of sexual preference, right? Nobody can tell me I can't 
have sexual relations with somebody of my own sex, that same-sex marriage is, is right, right? It's unfair and, and, and unjust if somebody tries to interfere with those rights. Right? Why, is that, why is that possible now? Well, because it's about fairness. It's about upholding people's rights, not an objective moral standard of right and wrong. Okay, so is that okay? Uh, I'm not going to go there just yet, but um, maybe it's okay, maybe it's not. Uh, but, but what we have to understand is that it's put in the language of justice. And so if you tell somebody, well, you can't marry somebody of the same sex, that's not just. They would say, oh, it's very just, right? That's fair. If you deny me of that, you're not being fair. Right? So that's the first one. Second one, justice or fairness is viewed in terms of equality. Right? Fair means everybody gets everything equal. Okay, go back to second grade. <laughs> the teacher shows up, and the teacher gives these three students a chocolate cupcake, and the rest of the students do not get a chocolate cupcake. Cup, chocolate cupcake. What are you going to hear? That's not fair, right? That's 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 like horrible, right? You can't do. That. You have to treat everybody equal. One person gets a chocolate cupcake. Everybody gets a chocolate cupcake, or no chocolate cupcakes, right? That's what's fair. That's just. It's equality, right? And, and again, uh, I'm not saying that I wouldn't support that. I, I like fair, right? If you get a chocolate cupcake, you better make sure I get one, right? I want fair. Um, so, but, but here's the reality. Um, this is now being applied that everybody should be equal in every way. The same education, the same opportunities, and the same degree of wealth. Uh, so, sounds good. Sounds like a good plan. And I would love to live in a world where everybody had that kind of equality, where there was everybody was as wealthy as you and I. Wouldn't you like to have a world like that? Right? Um, so, in the modern, in the modern world, this, this kind of justice has been identified as what we call social justice. How many of you have ever used the word social justice? Okay, do you know what the word actually means? Right? We'll, we'll talk about it more in a minute, what it really means. Um, but in, in the modern world, this is what it really means. Social justice is another word for what is also called redistributive justice. What does redistributive justice mean? Well, it means that uh, true justice is when you redistribute the wealth in the world so that everybody is equal. Right? And, and uh, most people who advocate redistributive justice believe that it's the role of government to tax wealthy people and take their money away from them and give it to the poor. Amen? <laughs> Man, you guys, yeah, well, it's like, well, that's good unless I'm the rich guy, right? It's like, I'm not so sure about I'll, I'll take the money, but don't be taking my money, right? Um. But that's, that's what justice means in the world today, okay? You've got to understand that. That's the, and if you're like my age or even getting close to my age, right, this is going to be kind of new. This might be new information for you. But this is very much the, the world we live in, right, where justice is seen as getting my own personal rights and making a place where everything's equal. Everything is equal, right? So one person studies hard, works hard, they apply themselves at school, they take advantage of their educational opportunities, they go out and start a company, and they make huge sacrifices to build up the business. Eventually, they become very wealthy, right? Well, on the other hand, another person goes to the same school, is given the same exact opportunities, but they're lazy, 
They squander the opportunities. They don't try. They don't, you know, they, they barely pass their classes. Uh, they get out. They get a job, but they, they never show up on time. They don't work hard. They end up uh, having a serious alcohol addiction. And, and many, many years later, they're homeless and living on the street, Right? Social justice says, well, the rich guy should take half of his wealth and give it to the poor guy so that they're both equal. That would be just, right, according to modern justice theory. Uh, so, so what does the Bible say about all this, right? Clearly, the Bible talks a lot about justice, and in fact, it talks a lot about social justice, and we'll see that in a minute. Um, but our, our view uh, of, as Christians of what justice is should be very different. Uh, and I'm going to explain a little bit of why it should be. Uh, and it's not that God is against fairness or that he doesn't believe in certain personal rights. But that's not the ultimate goal or aim of justice. Um, justice, so what is justice? What, how can we define justice? Well, let me just give you a um, short definition uh, and we see this here uh, lived out in this code, in this covenant code. We get a picture of what, uh, of what God's vision for justice is. Um, and it, it is a real objective moral code. It's a, it's a standard of right and wrong. God makes very clear that some things are okay, other things are not okay. Uh, and there are consequences for those things, right? There are judgments that come as a result of doing what's right or doing what's wrong, uh, um, and it's not random. Okay, God doesn't just make these things up. He didn't just say one day, well, I think I'll just make this up, right? Uh, the code is a reflection of God's own character and nature. And that's one of the things I want to see today as we go through this. I want us to see that what we see here is a picture of God's very heart. Right? God doesn't do this randomly. It's, a, it's an expression of God's deepest values of what God feels is important. In fact, it's really a reflection of who he is. So the, the laws, the code, the things that he gives uh, are an expression of his own values and priorities, what God himself cares about. So what is justice? Well, justice is not getting what's fair, although certainly fairness is a part of it, but it's not that. It's rather getting uh, and giving what is deserved. Getting and giving what is deserved on the basis of an objective standard of right and wrong that reflects God's character and heart. Okay, getting not what's fair, but getting what you deserve. And there's a huge difference. And we'll see that as we go through this covenant uh, code. Um, and again, I, and I want to say this every Sunday as we go through this. We're not going through these rules and looking at them all to find examples of how we should apply these specific commands. Because there's some things in here that I'm telling you, you really don't want to apply, okay? It will, it will actually get you put in jail or worse, all right? So uh, we don't look at these to, to say, oh, well, I think we could do this, or, well, that's irrelevant, so we don't need to do that, right? Instead, what we want to see is we want to see the core values of God's heart. What are the values about God? What is, does it tell us about who God and his character and then from that, what, what, you know, how do we own and live out these values in our own life, not by following these specific commands? And it's funny how we do this with the Old Testament. Uh, I'll hear people say, uh, well, we do this because it's commanded in the Bible. 
and they're, they're, they're pointing to Old Testament laws. And it's like, really, really, you're going you're gonna to uphold all the Old Testament laws. Good luck with that one, right? So we're, we're, not, we're not saying here that we follow these commands. It's a different world, and God does not ask us. These were for Israel in a given time period a long time ago. He's not asking you to follow these things uh, specifically. But uh, we want to see the core value of God's heart in them. So we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at the standard real quickly. We're going to just summarize huge chunks of Scripture. Uh, and uh, that the standard is giving the giving of justice. That is what, uh, giving what is deserved in relation to these four areas. And it breaks down into our relationship to four different things, uh, namely people's stuff, other people's stuff, our relationship to other people's stuff, our relationship to God, our relation to people in need, and our relationship to justice itself. Right? So in each of these four areas, we're going to look at the standard, giving what is deserved in, in the relationship to each, as well as what it means to receive or get justice. Uh, in other words, what we deserve if we fail to do what's right in each relationship. Okay, so you got that? We're going to kind of blow through this real quick. So, uh, so let's look at the first one, the justice of stuff. Okay, the justice of stuff. We, we do have a, a, a relationship with other people's stuff. And the law, a good chunk of it is about what, what other people's stuff deserves, right? How we are to treat and take care of other people's stuff. Um, it implies that God values private ownership. Uh, they, they live as a community, but they don't live in a communal way. God doesn't expect them to all just share everything. He expects them to have their own things, their own ox, their own donkey, their own things. And, and they have responsibility to care for and use those things personally. And, and likewise, we have a responsibility for how we treat and deal with other people's stuff. So in chapter 21, verse 33, he says this. When a man opens a pit, digs a big hole in the ground, or, or when, when a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration. He shall give money to its owner, and the dead beast shall be his. Uh, when one man's ox butts another so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and share its price, and the dead beast also they shall share. Or if it is known that the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, and its owner has not kept it in, has not protected it, he shall repay ox for ox, and the dead beast shall be his. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for one ox and four sheep for one sheep. <clears throat> okay, in this, in this set of laws about property, about our right relationship to other people's property, there's basically three areas. The first is uh, when we intentionally harm or damage or steal what belongs to somebody else, right? Uh, and that's primarily in the area of theft, any kind of stealing. Anytime you end up with something in your possession and you did so because you intentionally, willfully took it, okay, it's theft. Uh, that's, uh, that's the, okay, that's misusing justice, right? And so what happens? Well, if the person's presumably caught, um, they are to restore what they have taken, from anywhere from two times to five times the amount. Uh, so uh, I love this. 
Because what this means is a face-to-face encounter with the thief and the person who was, who was robbed. Right? And the thief has to come and they have to presumably apologize, um, stand before the person they stole things from, and give back. It's very personal. And uh, have you ever had to do this, right? Remember when I was a kid, I did stupid things, and my mom, you know, it's like, beat me. I don't care. Beat me. But please don't make me go and face the person I wronged and apologize. To me, that was the worst torture ever. (laughs) That was the worst. Ground me for the rest of my life, but please don't make me talk to the person I wronged. There's something difficult about that, right? When we actually do something stupid and we have to confront the person that we wronged face to face. Why? Because all of a sudden it becomes personal, right? I can take their stuff and I can pretend whatever I want about them, but when I see them face to face and and I see how what I have done has affected another human being, has wronged another human being, takes it to kind of another level, right? And that's what, that's what they were to do. They were to go and face-to-face pay back, restore what they took. Uh, and so in this way, the offender, the one offended, is restored. And sometimes actually they come out quite better off because of it. You know, I lost one ox, I get five back. It's a pretty good day, actually. You might be thinking, well, hallelujah. <laughs> getting, getting thieved is not such a bad thing. Um, plus, I think oftentimes it can be restorative for the thief. Because right? for one, they learn, wow, this is expensive. <laughs> okay, there's got to be an easier way to increase my own holdings. Stealing is too expensive. But also, I think it gives them the opportunity to repent and by taking personal responsibility to fix things. And there's great power in that as well. When the person and the wrong has the opportunity to make it right by taking responsibility for their own action. What's interesting is God does not say here, send them to jail. You know, do not pass go, do not collect $200, and you stay there until you get a get-out-of-jail-card-free, right? Get-out-of-jail-free card. No, right? There's no going to jail. There's only the opportunity to make restoration. Second thing. Uh, if you unintentionally damage somebody's property. So verse 5, if a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed over or lets his beast loose and it feeds, feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best in his own field and in his own vineyard. If a fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. Now, these are instances where it's not intentional. You're not trying to burn down the guy's field. Uh, but because of your carelessness, you damage what belongs to somebody else. You damage their field. You, you burn down their house, whatever. Right? What happens then? Uh, and again, like you dig a pit and you don't fence it off and so another animal falls in. Uh, your cows gets loose because you didn't have a good enough fence and it eats your neighbor's corn. Right? Uh, any of those kind of situations where you damage something that belongs to somebody else, but it was not on purpose, you still have to take responsibility, right? You still take responsibility and you restore what was lost to the victim. But in this case, only equal. 
So it's not two or three or four or five times. Just, just what was lost. So if he lost 10 bushels of grain, you give him 10 bushels of grain. If you killed his ox, you buy him an ox. Um, if you ran over his dog, you get him another dog, right? Um, and you get the dead one, <laughs> okay? Which if it's edible, that's a good thing. Um, so again, the focus is on restoring what's lost. Third thing, if it's accidental. Okay, this is a case where it's just an act of nature. It's just an accident. And, and no one is clearly at fault. So, for example, your friend asks you to watch his donkey for the weekend. <laughs> you ask the donkey sit, right? Uh, and, and it's struck by lightning. Or it's attacked by wolves in the middle of the night, right? Who's, who's responsible? Then nobody's responsible. Because you were doing a favor for your friend. So he shares some of the responsibility because he shouldn't have gone... Wherever he went, right? He should have taken his donkey with him. Stupid donkey, right? Uh, you're not responsible because it was an accident. It wasn't intentional. Um, on the other hand, uh, if you paid a rental price, uh, it says the, the responsibility belongs to the owner, right? So, so here's the deal. If uh, you borrow your neighbor's lawnmower and it breaks, you fix it. If you rented it from him and he pays money, it's his problem, okay? So just a little tip. You ever borrow something? Just say, hey, I'd like to borrow that for 20 baht. <laughs> okay? You're off the hook. Okay, the point here is this. Okay, all these things, the, the, the point I want to get at is uh, justice requires restoration, not retribution. Okay, restoration means, uh, restorative justice means that you fix or replace or make up for what was lost or damaged. You fix the problem. You take personal responsibility for your place in it, and you fix it. The goal is not retribution. And retribution means it's wrong, and so it needs to be punished. Uh, back in the old days, the Puritans got this all wrong. And if you know much about the Puritans, you know that the Puritans believe that anything that you did wrong required not restoration, but what? Retribution. Right, so how many of you read The Scarlet Letter? Okay, you should read it. I think it's kind of mandatory for high school or something like that. Great picture of, of retribution. Right? This poor girl um, is immoral, so she gets branded. The Scarlet Letter. Uh, because she needs to be punished for her sin. Right? Well, what's interesting is in, in, in the commandments here, God's not looking for retribution. Uh, maybe a little bit with the guy who stole, because he has to, have to pay five times back. There may be something a little punitive in that, but the focus is not retribution. Right? You don't bring him out and put him in the stocks. Remember, you've seen movies in the old days where they would put them in stocks. Okay, why do you do that? Well, to absolutely humiliate somebody, to shame them in public, and to punish them. Now, if I steal my neighbor's chicken and I spend three days in the stocks, does it help my neighbor with her stolen chicken? No, but it sure makes you look stupid. Okay, that's the point. It was re re retributive. It was punishment. Okay. God says, no, it, in, in cases of personal property, the goal is not retribution, it's restoration. Why? Well, because punishment actually serves no purpose in rebuilding a broken relationship. When you steal something from somebody, when you damage something even unintentionally, when you break something that belongs to somebody else because you were careless, 
it, it's not just their stuff, but it damages your relationship with them. Right? We all know how this is. Some, somebody runs into your car at the parking lot at Lotus, and they put a great big scratch in your door, and then they just leave, and you come out and you see this big scratch. How do you feel? Well, you feel angry, right? Are you just angry because the door is scratched? Are you angry because they, they were kind of a jerk and they didn't even tell you, right? Now, if they would have told you and met you and faced you and said, I'm so sorry, it would be different, wouldn't it? But when they run off, you feel it's a break in the relationship. God, so here's the principle. Here's the deal. God is more concerned about relationships than stuff. Right? The relationship was more important than the stuff. Um, how many times in our, in our own life does that get uh, turned upside down? And in all honesty, the stuff is more important than the relationship. Right? And we, we, we want revenge more than we want restoration. We value our, our stuff more than we value people. Um, and the goal is, 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 is better relationships. Um, so how, what does this look like in real life? Again, we're not trying to apply these laws directly, but um, testimony in my own life. Way back when I was in junior high, I was like in seventh grade, I got this job, my very first kind of paying job for this guy who had a nursery where they planted trees and plants and so I planted thousands of Christmas trees and thousands of tomatoes and thousands of stuff. And he would sell them in his little store, storefront shop. And one day I was wheeling this big cart full of plants into the shop to sell. And I wasn't being very careful. And I ran the cart into this huge vase, like, like a vase like that, just big, huge flower pot. And I cracked it right in half, <laughs> broke it. But I didn't shatter it, right? It just cracked it cleanly in half. So I was able to arrange it so it still looked whole, right? If you picked it up, it was all over. But if you looked at it, it looked perfect. And I thought, escape that one. He'll never know, right? And the reality is that pot cost like a whole year's or a whole week's worth of my wages because the pot cost way too much and I got paid way too little. And I thought, I'm not taking responsibility for this, but I'm just a dumb employee who doesn't get paid enough to be this guy's slave. Um, So I, I didn't... I did not take responsibility, and uh, he, he would never have known that I did it. Well, years went by. In fact, many years went by, uh, like many, many years. And I was a grown adult, uh, married, had kids, and uh, that haunted me. Uh, I, and I felt bad about that forever. Um, and I confessed it over and over, but um, I, I could not get, get away from that, that I had... I had not taken responsibility. So long after his, close, his shop was closed and his business was gone and he was retired, I still lived in the same spot and I drove in one day and he was there. And I said, I got to tell you, I, I, I broke your pot. <laughs> it's like, what? I don't even know that you remembered who I was, right? But so I want to pay for that pot. He says, yeah, you have to pay for the pot. But thank you so much for, for sharing that with me. Right? Uh, he didn't want the money, but what it meant to him in terms of the relationship was, was hugely valuable. Right? Um, what do we value? Do we value our stuff or do we value people? That's what this is about. Right? 
That's the core value here. Another important tip for those of you who are teachers or parents. Uh, when, when your kids, whether it's a student or your child, does something stupid, breaks something, disobeys, is your goal punishment or restoration? Punishment or restoration? I think far too often we want to punish our kids instead of teach them responsibility. And I think this passage speaks volumes about what this is about. God says, I'm not interested in punishing you. I just want you to fix it. Just make it right. right? Just make it right. Uh, we should be teaching our kids not to feel bad when they, when they do bad things. Right? They don't need help with that. Uh, if you've taught them well, a standard of right and wrong, they'll feel bad all on their own. You don't have to, you don't have to reinforce that. But what you can teach them is that they need to take responsibility for their actions. Don't just cry or be sad or say you're sorry. Fix it. <laughs> right? Take responsibility. If you broke my pot, pay for it. Right? If you scratch you know, my car, you break the dish, pay for it. Take responsibility. Right? That's what we should be teaching them. Okay, second thing. Uh, just worship. Uh, verse 22, verse 18. You shall not permit a sorceress to live. Whoever lies with an animal shall be put to death. Whoever sacrifices to any god other than Yahweh alone shall be devoted to destruction. Um, another set of rules, and they all relate to false worship. All these things are related to pagan practices and false worship, worshiping idols and false gods. Uh, and, and the basic principle here is anytime we seek wisdom and guidance and help from a false god, uh, whether you're excluding God altogether by cutting him out or if it's through some kind of secretism where you're seeking God and seeking a sorcerer at the same time. Either way, uh, you are not giving God what he deserves. Right? It's an injustice towards God because you're not giving him what he deserves. And the penalty for that is what? It is death. It is, you shall not allow that person to live. And it's put on the society, on the community to execute the death penalty anytime a person worships falsely. Okay, again, this is why we can't, this is one of the good reasons we can't enforce this in our modern day and age. Okay? Please, don't go out and say, well, I just learned in church today we're supposed to kill idolaters and I'm going after them. Right? Okay, great way to end up in jail or dead, right? Uh, God's not saying that to us. This was very specific rules to Israel as a nation, as a covenant community of God's people who could, at a government level, do this. Which, by the way, they didn't. All right? They did not practice this um, very well. Right? They, they were constantly falling into idol worship and nobody was being executed for it. Um, what's interesting with this rule, when we compare it with the previous ones, is this. Here God wants retribution, not restoration. Interesting, right? Um, so here's the deal. Put it in modern context. Um, you, worship, you worship the wrong God. You know, you, you decide, you know, this God that, of the Bible, he sounds so angry. He needs anger management classes. This whole thing about him crucifying his son on a cross just sounds like child abuse and horribly, horribly criminal and unfair and unjust. I don't want to worship a God like that. 
I'm going to pick out the parts of the Bible that talk about how loving God is and what a nice guy he is. And I'm going to make that my God. Are you worshiping the true God? Or are you creating a God of your own making? And if so, is it a big deal? Well, given what is described here, it's it's an incredibly big deal. Incredibly big deal. Like I said, you know, there's not going to be an inquisition. We're not going to start executing people after church. (laughs) Um, It's not about that. But it is about this. Worship is incredibly important to God. Now, this might seem, in the world's eyes, very unfair. I mean, shouldn't be able to have freedom to choose their own religion? And here's here's the issue. Uh, Worldly speaking, yeah, people have freedom, right? In fairness, they can pick and choose whatever religion, whatever God they want. They can make up whatever God they want. But here's why God hates it so much. Because those gods are absolutely false. People are trusting in solutions and help and answers that can never help them because they're false. And uh, it's like, you know, it's like the, the emperor's robe, okay? Only it's not a robe, it's a bridge, right? I need to cross this great chasm, and there's no bridge there, but I'm just going to imagine there's a bridge, and I'm going to walk out on this imaginary bridge. What will happen? Well, you'll plummet to your death because it's not real. And see, that's why God hates this so much, because it leads to your own destruction when you, when you put your hope and trust in what is false. Um, So here God, God, God demands punishment, retribution, not restoration, because there's no way to restore that. Um, but there's another one. In verse 22, verse 29, he says this. He says, You shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest and from the outflow of your presses. The firstborn of your sons you shall give me. You shall do the same with your ox and your sheep. Uh, it shall be with its mother seven days, and on the eighth day you shall give it to me. Okay, God says, so what does God deserve? Well, God deserves to be worshipped in truth, and he deserves our gifts, our offerings. It is right and fitting to honor God with your gifts. They They were to give their firstborn son. Why? Because they were redeemed at the cost of the firstborn of Egypt. And so God says, you owe me. Because I, I, I spent the lives of the firstborns of the Egyptians to set you free. So you owe me your firstborn of all your livestock and all your cattle, all your children. And of course, they didn't kill their children. They, they sacrificed uh, the animals or they redeemed them if they couldn't be sacrificed. But their sons, they were to redeem with a, a financial gift. They were to buy them back. Um, and here, God does not impose a death penalty. Right? There is neither retribution nor restoration. He just says, just please do it. And the idea is that uh, God desires them to freely and joyfully give those gifts because they understand what it costs to be redeemed. Right? Out of gratitude, they should want to give those gifts. Likewise with us, when we understand that we are guilty of worshiping other things, and then the reality is that every human being has worshipped the wrong thing. 
Right? Romans tells us that we have all put our hope and trust in things other than God. What's the consequence of that? Well, thankfully nowadays it's not physically the death penalty, but it is spiritually the death penalty. It is a huge offense against God. On the level of wrongs, it's right up there with murder. Right? We're all guilty of that, and we deserve spiritual death. But instead, God has shown us grace and mercy. Uh, Jesus paid the penalty. We are redeemed not by the firstborn of Egypt, but by the firstborn of God himself. So we should love to give him our gifts and offerings. Um, Worship should be vitally important in our life, right? Okay, third thing, uh, social justice. Uh, 22, verse 21. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or a fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath will burn, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. And he goes on with more. Um, verse 27. Um, well, it's verse 26, if you, take, if, you, if you take your neighbor's cloak in a pledge, and uh, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body. And, and what else shall he sleep? And if he cries out to me, I will hear him, for I am compassionate. Uh, bottom line is, we are to help those in need. Um, and again, it's a law. It's a covenant law here. Uh, we're, ha- we're to help the vulnerable. And the vulnerable were any people who were in need, who could not protect or defend themselves. The poor, the orphan, the alien, the the widow. um, I think in that group also are people like elderly and uneducated sometimes. It says, do not mistreat them. Um, What will happen if you do? Is it restoration or retribution? Well, interestingly, again, it is retribution. Um, Only this time, it's not society that does it. It's God himself. God says, I will personally kill you, and I will make your wife a widow and your children fatherless. Um, Does God literally do this today? I don't know. Um, But the point is this. How we treat those in need is right up there with the the level of murder and and worshiping false gods. It's a really big deal. Really big deal how we treat and care for and take interest in the poor. Uh, There's another one. He says, at the same time, there's another group of needy people, and that's your enemy. Uh, In 23, verse 4, he says, If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey, and it's going astray, you shall retrieve it and take it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you, lying down under its burden, you shall... uh, um, you shall help him rescue it. Right? So, so here's the deal. You're to, you're to help your enemy if he needs help. Uh, doesn't say the consequence there. Uh, but, the, but the heart of it is this. In verse 20 says, that if, you, if this person cries out to me, I will hear them for I am, a God, I am compassionate. Okay, God's heart here is, is obvious, right? God has compassion on those who are in need. Um, 
So this means that Christians should be all about social justice, right? We as Christians should be fighting for absolute equality for everybody. Is that right? Well, what's interesting is, is that's not what it says here. It says you should take care of the poor, you should look after the poor, you should certainly not oppress them. It never says you should make the poor equal with you. In fact, nowhere in Scripture does it really say that. Why? Well, the reason is it just doesn't work. Plain, simple, short answer, we don't have time, but it does not work to just give the wealth of the wealthy to the poor. Um, It's never helped. And if you don't believe it, you just look at countries like Haiti and countries all over Africa where that's exactly what people have tried to do, and they are still just as poor as ever. And they've just squandered and wasted all the resources. That's not the solution to the problem. We are to help people, but we should help them in ways that work. Right? Redistributing wealth doesn't work. Short answer. Um, last one. Um, our relationship towards justice. Well, he says basically you're to uphold justice. Um, do not spread a false report. Don't join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious or false witness. Uh, you shall not fall in with many who do evil, or, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with many so as to pervert justice. In other words, short answer, um, our relationship with justice, what justice deserves is to be upheld by always telling the truth, right? never favoring somebody by uh, changing our witness. All right, we're out of time, so I'm not going to talk about rumors and, and bribes. I'll let you study that one on your own. Uh, but let me conclude it this way. Um, <coughs> So what does all this mean for us personally? Uh, well, justice means getting what you deserve. <clears throat> we already talked about what we deserve as sinful beings who have rebelled against God. What we deserve is the worst. Right? If we really want justice, <laughs> um, we don't really want what we deserve. But praise God, God has not given us what we deserve. The gospel, the the, the justice of the gospel is that God has not given us what we deserve. He's given us his grace. He's given us forgiveness. Um, So how is that just? How is it just for God to give you forgiveness when you deserve destruction? Well, of course, the cross is the place where God's justice and grace perfectly meet. That's why you can't get rid of the cross. Uh, it is essential. Without it, God is not just. Right? Without it, God cannot rightly forgive your sins and my sins. The, just, the, the cross is the place where God's love and justice meet perfectly. Um, so what that means for us is we should live a just lifestyle. Uh, we have been recipients of God's incredible grace. So we should be living out these three things in a big way. We should be taking responsibility for the ways we hurt and damage our relationships with others. Okay? Don't beat yourself up. Okay? Don't go around punishing yourself when you do stupid things. Right? That's not helpful. God doesn't ask you to beat yourself up when you say things that hurt people, when you do things that hurt people, when you break other people's stuff. Don't punish yourself. That's, that's a waste of time and effort. Instead, take responsibility. 
right? Take steps to restore what you have damaged and lost and broken in the relationship. Take responsibility on your side to fix it. Okay, that's living out justice in a gospel way. Secondly, worship God alone, right? Uh, Take seriously what God deserves because he's redeemed you. And be generous in giving him your praise and worship and your gifts and, and your love. Thirdly, take seriously the compassion of God. Right? There's a lot more we could say about that, and a lot of you are involved in that. But you know, be intentional about helping the poor and the homeless and the needy and your enemy. Right? We should be intentional about living those things out. Because here's the thing. The world is all about social justice. Uh, and, and they point fingers at Christians and say, you Christians, you have your moral codes and you're, you, you think you're better than everybody else, but you're not caring for poor people. We're caring for poor people, <laughs> they say. They say. Um, we need to be an example, an all-out example of what it means to live out justice. Um, so what about, what about the world's Failing moral code. Okay, I don't care what country you're from, but I tell, I'm telling you, in your country, if it's in the West, um, morality is slipping. Right? And churches all over the world are trying to rise up and, and fight this battle of morality, which means we want to impose on the world our moral code. That same-sex marriage is wrong. That, you know, that you... All these moral standards, uh, sex outside of marriage is wrong, right? Should Christians be engaged in that battle? Well, this may sound crazy, but I say no, <laughs> no. Here's why. Nowhere in Scripture does, does God command us to put his moral code on the lost, on lost people. Nowhere. And the reality is, and we don't have time to look at it, but Romans 1 makes it clear, Romans 1 and 2 makes it clear that the world has their own moral code, right? Jesus did not try to transform the corrupt moral code of Rome. Okay, Paul did not try to transform the corrupt moral code of Rome. Um, it's the wrong battle. Um, but what Paul says is this. They're going to be guilty. They're going to be convicted by how they failed to keep their own moral code. Right? Every culture has its moral code. And even though it might be slipping, the truth is they don't keep their own rules. They don't keep their own morality. They don't need ours. They can't even keep theirs. What we need to do is proclaim the gospel into that and show them that you can't even keep your own morality. You don't need mine. You can't keep yours. But the only answer is not to try harder or to get better rules. You need a new heart. And that's only possible through the blood of Jesus. Right? Only Jesus can transform your life from the inside out so that you can keep any moral code. So you can be, from the inside out, a different kind of person. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.